Today, the title of the message is The Last Supper, and we'll be covering Luke 22, verses 1 through 34. And we're going to do as we have done, uh, started doing last time that I was here, where I will read uh, verses uh, 1 through 6, and then there's a much longer section, and then we'll uh, close off in, the, in verses uh, 31 through 34. And so we'll take them kind of as we go rather than take the whole sweep together. Uh, so it, uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, it'll, I'll cue uh, when it's ready for the, uh, and, uh, the plot. By the way, the, the title of the uh, approach is the plot, the Passover, and the prayer. Uh, so you can, those of you who like alliteration, there you go. Uh, now, in our last session, we saw Jesus triumphantly ride into Jerusalem. But Jesus was heartbroken over the so-called city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means, city of peace. But it wasn't acting like the city of peace in so many ways. They were out to get Jesus at any cost. And ultimately, Jesus would turn his temple over and bring a judgment upon the temple because it had become a den of thieves. It was supposed to be, remember, a house of prayer, but it had become a den of thieves. Now, the religious establishment, of course, were completely frustrated. There were so many people. Remember, it just been Palm Sunday not long ago, and people were pouring in for the feast into the city, and they couldn't get a a way to get a shot at him or somehow slow Jesus down. He was teaching in the temples every day in the temple. And so they were trying to find a way to stop Jesus. But up to this point, they couldn't do it. And to make matters worse, they were afraid of the people. They, Jesus still had a huge following And Jesus' popularity with the crowds had made it virtually impossible for the religious leaders to get their grimy hands on him. Particularly, think of this in Luke chapter 20. This is two chapters back. Verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Duh, yeah, he had. But they feared the people. And then again, in today's text, in chapter 22, verse 2, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. So, what are they going to do? How could they get rid of Jesus before he ends up leading all the people astray from their point of view? 
How are they what are going to do this? Now comes the first point, the plot, verses 1 through 6. If we can have that on the screen. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priest and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Now, as luck would have it, several things began to coincide with their plot to kill Jesus. There were several things working in some kind of powerful and harmonious arrangement that would otherwise not have been normal. First, many of the groups, rival groups, joined forces to put Jesus to death, especially especially the chief priest and another group, the scribes. Now, in case you don't know, Pharisees are prominent earlier on, but in this last run-up of the final, the third element, mostly you hear the expression, the chief priests and the scribes. But have no fear. They both, the, the, the scribes, the, I mean the chief priests, were mostly Sadducees. And guess what? The scribes were, a lot of them were connected or were kissing cousins of the Pharisees. So it's these groups and other similar groups all coalescing together. Secondly, Judas likely had become disillusioned with Jesus and his agenda. Now, we don't absolutely know that for sure, but I, in looking many, many times, reading a lot of commentaries, it's very likely that that was something. We don't know what all was in Judas's wretched heart, but what we do know is there he was looking for an opportunity to ditch Jesus. He felt somehow things had all gone wrong. And he wanted to try to right the ship, whatever in his twisted mind that might have been. So, Judas provided Jesus' enemy with an opportunity for them to arrest him. And the key word was quietly, quietly. They didn't want the crowds. They knew if that happened, they couldn't accomplish their dastardly deed. Third, 
Here's the third element that's, that's coming together in this triumvirate. Third, last but not least, enter the Satan. By the way, it's definite article. The Satan, i.e. the devil. Now, Satan. Remember back in chapter 4, the battle that Jesus did with him and prevailed. But he's back again. He's not been gone, but he's coming full throttle now after Jesus. And he's going to use a tool. Now, was Judas possessed by Satan or was he just influenced? Well, commentators don't all agree. But in either case, Judas volunteered to be a satanic pawn to betray Jesus to his enemies. I like the way that George Bliss explains this. Listen. That Satan entered into Judas means that the devil, to accomplish his malignant purposes against our Lord, took advantage of the wickedness of Judas to direct him as a serviceable tool. He was a tool. He was at fault. And yet Satan was stirring it up. He was right there. And and so it's once again, folks, what we get here in this part of the story is another case of these twin sisters of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. A lot of people, Christians, either gravitate toward one. Well, I like the sovereignty, but I don't like the... Or the others, well, I don't like that sovereignty stuff. I, I, I like the free moral responsibility. They both are in part of reality. They both are in Scripture in many places over and over. And once again, you in this scene, there is divine sovereignty at play and human responsibility at play. Listen to these two texts. And they'll, I'll give, they'll give you examples in this very instance about Judas. In John 17, 12... This is what it says. While I was with them, this is Jesus praying, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. He's talking to his father. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. God's in control. He's moving the chess pieces. Satan is playing checkers 
He's playing chess. That's the sovereignty. But alongside, at the same time, parallel with it, here's another important scripture. Acts chapter 1, verse 25. This is after Judas had, was gone and they were looking for the next, the 12th man among Peter guiding them. And Peter says, to take the place, referring to Judas, there's a, there's a vacant spot. And they thought it was their job to take that. And so Peter says, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. He didn't get drugged there. He didn't get forced there. He went there to his own place. Is God in control and sovereign? Yes. Are men and women and boys and girls responsible for their actions? Yes. It is not either or. It is both and. And, in, and you see it all through the scriptures if you will open your eyes. Now you see a dark gravitational force is drawing people together in the plot to kill Jesus. Now the longer section, the Passover in verses 7 through 31, if we can have that on the screen. The plot, now the Passover, chapter 7 through 31, or 30. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. and When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which one of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority and over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you becomes as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table. In my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Wow. Now, aware that Judas had plans and he was busy making them to betray Jesus to his enemies. Jesus also had plans. Jesus had plans to partake of the Passover meal with his disciples, minus Judas, in private. Jesus sent Peter and John to make those arrangements. It's not clear exactly when Judas did leave, but he was there. And left. And they found everything that Jesus had sent them to do, they found everything just as he said it would be. And they went on and did their responsibility, which was to prepare the Passover meal. And that was covered in verses 7 all the way down to 13. Now, the Passover meal is an ancient service. And it is a reminder for the Jews of what? The exodus. God's deliverance from them in Egypt. And bringing them out of Egypt and into their own land. But now Jesus puts a new perspective on the elements of the meal of Passover. Furthermore, there is a sense 
that something is coming to an end. What The way Jesus is talking about the Passover here, and they're going through all the actions, but he's making it clear that something else is happening. Something is different. Something is changing. And Jesus was telling his disciples that this will be the one they were having that night, the Last Supper. There's going to be something after that night will never be the same again. And something new was going to be born that night also. He will not eat, he said, this meal or drink this cup again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in a little while. That's talking about the final supper in the kingdom of God. Revelation 9, 19. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. To the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's when we go home to be with Jesus forever and a feast that will never end. Jesus is saying, I'm starting something now, something new, and I'm not going to be into that final arrangement when my purposes are finished. Then we'll all sit down then and there. But there's also a sense, as I said, in which something new is beginning in this in the meal. Same elements, but they're going to be simpler elements that are used that night. Jesus tells his disciples that they should do this in remembrance of me. That was not part of, a, of something in the Passover celebration. He said, do this in remembrance of him. Verse 20. Two, uh, uh, chapter 19 of verse 22. Now, until the consummation of the kingdom, this meal is not to remember the Passover. That's now past after that night. But to remember him, Jesus. To remember. To focus on him. And remember what he is going to accomplish for them. You see, the new covenant that Jesus establishes required his blood sacrifice. He would be Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us join the feast. You see, Jesus established and required a blood sacrifice. God required that in order that the guilty ones could go free. And Jesus said, Father, I will be that sacrifice. I will take the guilt upon myself. 
You see, that's the only way the guilty can go free. That's you and me if we're Christians. That's the only way the new covenant in his blood seals and assures the promises of freedom for the people of God in the final kingdom of God. I love um, the song by Graham Kendrick. We sing it from time to time here. Amazing love. You see, that's what this is being displayed before you in that night as he promised. My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly? Who would do this for people like us? Sinners, helpless, hopeless. Who would do this? Who would... Who would die in our place? My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I, you and me, the guilty ones, may go free. We don't deserve that. We should go down to the pit for what we've done. But He enables because of his sacrifice to cause the guilty one to go free. Amazing love. Oh, what sacrifice. The Son of God given for me. My debt he pays. My death he dies. That I might live. That I, you and me, might live. Oh, what amazing grace and what amazing love. Now soon, after this promise of amazing love, Jesus made another stunning announcement. Something's about to twist and get all fouled up again because we're sinners. And so were the 12. Someone within the group, Jesus said, was about to betray him. You could have heard a pin drop. It was a stunning speechlessness in light of what Jesus said. Here they were, the disciples, for a a while, absolutely speechless. But it wouldn't last. It wouldn't last However long it took for the disciples to contemplate if they would be the one, if it might be one of them, could it have been me? However long they contemplated that, it wasn't long enough. Because they went right back down the same old path of jockeying for position. Trying to make sure they got a leg up on all the other competition. You see, it wasn't long enough. And as most of you know, 
soon, there is going to be a big battle in football. And it's about to take place, and it's called the Super Bowl. So, have you heard of it? Well, imagine a manager preparing his team for all the marbles. He's doing all the preparation. He's doing all the practicing that needs to be done and more. He's scouting the enemy to make sure he has an edge on them. Maybe some are even stealing signs. I've heard that's been done recently. If you're big blue, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but you see, the minute, imagine, that's, what, that's what's supposed to be going on in this biggest of all contests. But the minute the manager After all that's been done to be ready for this, the manager stops talking. The minute that happens, the team starts to squabble about who's the best player. Now, how's that going to work out? You see, but despite their obtuseness, that's the disciples. That's what they were. At a time like this, that's what they're doing. Well, I'm number one. I'm unbelievable. But God's grace is so abounding to sinners like them and like us. Despite their obtuseness, Jesus made a promise or a covenant with his now 11 followers. And there was no need to scramble for prestige and honor. His disciples had forgotten that God was preparing a kingdom for them. And they would share a glorious future with him forever in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But first, they must join him in humiliation and suffering. Remember? For the master, what's good for the master, the servants also must be ready to do. And Jesus told them it would be coming. John, especially, lots of details of things that will happen. Now, finally, the prediction. Verses 31 through 34, a much shorter section. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. In this third section, Jesus 
tells how the disciples are going to get get eaten for breakfast by the enemy. Jesus is saying, you guys, Peter, and by the way, it's plural. So it is talking about the rest of them too. Peter's just the spokesman. But he basically says to, to Peter, you don't know what's coming. And you're going, you are going to get crushed unless I do something to protect you. You see, Jesus had allowed this to happen. It was all too part of the plan. He'd allowed it to happen. He doesn't take away all our sufferings. He never did, never said he would. But Jesus had allowed this to happen. But also, he had prayed for Peter. Isn't that the most amazing thing? That our God, despite all of our bungling, despite all of this kind of stuff that they can't seem to ever get out of for any period of time in their foolishness. And yet, Jesus says, Peter, don't worry. I got this. I'm praying for you. And there's no power in this universe that can stop my prayers from being answered for you. You see, here was Peter, boastful Peter, who would quickly turn from a proud peacock into a chicken. The peacock, Jesus says, is going to get turned into a chicken. And yet, Although Peter himself would deny his master, nevertheless, he would not fall away completely because of the prayers of his Savior. And he does that for us. We may really, really mess it up along the way. I have. I bet some of you have too. And yet Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. I need your prayers too. (laughs) But the biggest one is our big brother, Jesus. You see, remember, Satan has no rights. He must ask God for permission To bring trials into the lives of his children. Sometimes he does allow it. But not unless it's the father's will. Which ultimately cannot be harmful to us. Or keep us from our destination. Jesus wanted to assure his disciples of that. Brothers and sisters, as we get ready to come to this table, remember him. 
remember him. And remember also a wonderful truth about him. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me or you if you are belong to Jesus. He wanted me to remind you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, thank you for not giving up on the disciples. Peter then, Father, thank you that you want on us either. We who have put our faith and our helpless trust in you and you alone. Now, Father, as we come to this table to remember you and to be reminded of what you are doing and accomplishing now until that day we are with you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, Father, accept our praise and thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.